go back in time, walk with me here. Palm Sunday, we encircled the campus in prayer, not only for this church, but for the city. On that day, we had over 150 volunteers as we marched towards Easter, the Monday Thursday. How many of you were at the Monday Thursday service, by the way? So fascinating. Set your uh, calendars for Monday Thursday next year. I don't know when Easter is next year, but it's the Thursday before. Uh, you know, we don't RSVP, we don't ask for RSVPs for this thing, but it's a five-course meal, uh, community discussion. Last year we had 230, so we thought, there's no way more than 288 will come. 330 show up. And uh, we're, you know, pulling out tables, and uh, it was like the multiplying of the fish and the loaves. We had enough food for everybody, and gosh, over 100 volunteers that night. And then uh, Good Friday service, we had 90 volunteers that night. And then Easter Sunday, over 439 volunteers just on Easter Sunday. If you uh, at any point that week, volunteered in any way, would you stand just so we can thank you? Would you just stand right up if you served in any way? Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your service. You know, what's so great is you grab a seat. Uh, it's such a joy, you know, I show up and, you know, and I hear from people who come for the first time and they kept saying, gosh, everyone's so friendly. Everyone's so welcoming. What a hospitable place. And they're talking about you. They're not talking about the staff. They're not talking even about the volunteers. But we as a church, we served uh, when we showed up and didn't just say, what am I going to get out of this? But when we showed up and said, how can I be used by God in a way that is beyond myself? How can I be part of what God is doing in and here this place? And by the way, we found out uh, so far we, we know of at least 19 people that said yes to Jesus for the first time on Easter Sunday. So praise God. And we're following up with them, and what a joy that is. And Victoria, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, so if you were here earlier, Victoria Fisher, if you're joining us online after the fact, Victoria Fisher, how many years have you been part of this church now, roughly? Only eight. Only eight? Only, only, yeah, just, you know, just in L.A. years, that's like an eternity, you know. <laughs> you know, we come and go in L.A. Uh, but you invited, I think about how many people I invited to Easter, did I invite anybody? I don't think I invited one person. I, I don't think I invited. I invited people to the Monday Thursday. It got a little busy, frankly. Uh, so I didn't invite one person. Your senior pastor didn't invite one person to Easter Sunday. So I've got to grow. You invited 20 people, at least 20 people. That's now. Here's what's amazing. Two showed up that you're aware of, which is a pretty high ratio, actually. That's pretty good. And that's what it takes sometimes. And what a beautiful picture that no matter who we are, uh, when we feel that God is doing something in our midst, when we're part of a community where we're, where we're growing, we feel like we're encountering God, where we can't keep this, this thing to ourselves. Victoria, thanks for leading me. Thanks for teaching us what it means to be bold, because we're going to grow as a church only when every single one of us owns the fact that we are the church. The church is not an hour on Sunday. The church is not a building. We are the church. And wherever we go, in our workplaces, on set, in the line, at school, even on vacation, we have an opportunity to, to live out our relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes that includes us being bold and sharing our faith with somebody uh, giving hope to somebody as we point them to Scripture. And sometimes, in addition to that, it means that we're going to invite people to, to what we're experiencing in community. I love how in Scripture, sometimes people preach and 3,000 come to faith. 
And I look at Paul, he preaches in Athens, and only two named people come to faith. The point isn't the numbers. The point is putting yourself out there courageously. So again, Victoria, thank you. And for all of you that invited others, we've got stuff throughout the week that you can invite people to. And uh, some of you invited friends and family and coworkers here today. And what a joy that is. And as we go to God's word, my prayer is that every single one of us would grow, whether we're mature in our faith or new in our faith, or we have questions. You know, I love the fact, especially on Easter, we have a lot of people who come who, uh, who haven't said yes to Jesus. I, I met some who were very much anti-Jesus. Had some great conversations with people on the patio. We had skeptics that I had conversations with. People with doubts. People who said, I want nothing to do with this, but, but I experienced something here. I want to talk about that. What a joy it was. So whether you are anywhere on that spectrum... We believe that God's word is powerful. We believe God's word is alive. And so as we go to God's word, I pray that God would do something in and through me. This is not me. This is not my words. This is not this place. It's something eternal and it's powerful. Scripture says that even though uh, heaven or earth will one day pass away and the new heavens and the new earth will come, God's word will always remain. So why don't we open up our Bibles to Matthew 16. We're in our second week of a sermon series in the month of May. And it's this invitation that God gives us to come and see what life is like with him. And in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27, no, 829, oh, getting there quick, 829, oh, so quick on the draw, you shot yourself in the foot, you got to get the pistol out first, so what is it, I'm confused now, We're, 798, thanks Tim, oh, I can bring it out go. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Before I read this, it was this passage of Scripture that inspired Dietrich Bonhoeffer to write the book, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, in the German, the title for The Cost of Discipleship, I, I'm not going to say it in German, but it literally means follow after. He found it so fascinating that this this section of Scripture, what Jesus teaches here, is found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke, it's found in John. There's some teachings that are only included in one or two or maybe even three of the Gospels. All true, all actually happen, but every single Gospel writer believed that this was so essential, so core to what Jesus said, that they all included it in their eyewitness accounts. Let me read Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. This, is my friends, is the reading of God's word. All right, keep those Bibles open. Let's take a look at this. Now, some translations use different words, of course. Uh, but if you listen there, you, you heard the word life used a number of times. Now, how many of you show of hands... Uh, Growing up, or maybe as you've read Scripture, or as you've heard this passage before, especially when it gets to verse 26, you've seen it on mugs or bumper stickers. How many of you 
uh, heard it read this way. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Put your hands up if you, okay. Now here's the interesting thing. So the original language in the New Testament is Greek. And we translate it into English in the same way that it's been translated into German and Swahili and uh, Bribri, all the different languages of the world as, as things have been translated. We're trying to use our, our language and our culture to wrap around these really dynamic words. And in those translations where it says soul, in the beginning it uses the word life and then it switches to soul. But you've got to know in the New Testament, in the Greek language, it's one consistent word that's used through every single one of those verses. And it's the word psyche. Let me hear you say psyche. That's where we get the word psychology from. It's the truest thing about you. It's the core of who you are. And yes, you can say life. Yes, you can say soul. It's getting under the layers of what you do. It's getting under the layers of where you live. It's getting under the layers of, of your reputation. It's getting at the very core of your identity. And identity is so key because when we understand clearly who we are, when we have a very definitive, clear understanding of why we're here and what we live for, when we have clarity in that, we can move out into the world with confidence. And what's so fascinating, if you understand sociology and psychology, if you understand anything about comparative religion, you could, you could basically say that when you look at the history of the world, when you look about cultures of the world today, people fall under two different categories to overly simplify it. We either live in a culture or we're raised in a way that your identity this is one way. It's not in who you are as an individual. It's got nothing to do with your unique personality. It's got nothing to do with your gifts or your talent. It's got nothing to do with your dreams. Your identity is in your community, in the group, in the nation, in the family, in the tribe. A lot of places around the world, this is actually a very traditional view of understanding who you are. You, you travel to certain parts of Africa or in Asia or South America. There's certain parts of the world, even, even here in the U.S., a very traditional view is that, that you are who you're part of. You know, you, 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 you've heard that phrase when somebody goes away and they come back and they seem different. And, and they say, have you forgotten where you came from? And so some of us, maybe we've been raised this way or, or we're aware of people that really their identity is found in the group, the community. That's one way you can construct your identity. The other way, which is the more modern way, which is kind of the, the Western American way, doesn't matter what your family background was like, doesn't matter where you were born, doesn't, doesn't matter what groups you've been a part of. You've got to make your identity. I mean, you've got to find it from within. You've got to allow who you really are to come forth. You've got to do you. you, you you've got to find your place in the world. And if you trace American history, you see this, this impulse towards the individual really just rising up. And there was this thing in sociology, and just hang with me here. It'll all come together. There was this thing called utilitarian individualism, where the whole point was that you had to be self-sufficient. It's this idea that you're an individual 
Because you've got to look out for yourself. Because at the end of the day, people are going to let you down. Because at the end of the day, your government's going to let you down. Your family's going to let you down. Uh, you, you know, people in your life, uh, institutions, they're going to let you down. And, and you've, got to, you've got to be self-sufficient. You've got, to, you've got to look out for number one. And sociologists are saying that, you know, our grandparents, the greatest generation, one of the reasons why they were like this is because they had this amazing sense of being able to, to pull themselves up together. And to contribute as individuals. But we've moved, sociologists are saying, to this new thing called expressive individualism. This isn't being an individual just for survival. This isn't just about self-sufficiency. This is, you've got to be an individual, but you've got to express your individuality. Because the world's nothing without you. I mean, the world needs your Academy Award winning performance. The world needs your invention. The world needs you to be your fullest. And, and this expressive individualism worships at the, at the altar of fame. And there's this, there's this movement, you, you can see it within our culture, where we're told that you've got to not only be an individual, but you've got to express yourself. How many of you show fans have seen the most recent iPhone ad? It came out over the last few months. You're like, which one? I mean, there's like a thousand, right? It's the one, and this is the faces. You know, it's the, it's the one with the new iPhone X and the selfies. And there's this, there's this person speaking in the background, narrating the whole thing. And there's this one line that says, you know, my greatest weakness is that I don't realize how great I really am. You know that one? And it's this idea that you've got to step out and you've got to, You've got to show the world how special you are and perfect you are and how good you are. And what do we do? We hire people so that we can look our best. We, we pay people on our social media accounts so we can have more followers. Uh, we have professionals uh, write our social media posts. We have publicists. We have, we have people say, what, what, what photo is going to make me look better? And we live in a world where we're just trying, we're, we're crying out over each other. We're all looking for our 15 minutes of fame at the same time. And this expressive individualism seeps its way into our understanding of Scripture and also the view of you are not your individual. You are who you are in a group. Seeps its way into Scripture. And my observation is that most Christians will kind of ping pong between the two. We go down this individual route. Jesus is not our Savior. He's not our Lord. He's our assistant. He's here for my dreams and my glory and my fame. And I talk to people and they're like, you know what, I, I'm going to have this huge project. I'm going to do this great thing. And I, I'm going to give God all the glory. But it's all about me. And I see people trapped in this and they get lost in this pursuit of themselves trying to build their identity. And I've noticed some, sometimes those individuals will kind of hit the end of the road and then they'll slingshot ping pong over to here. And they're like, well... I guess I just kind of get, get lost in the group and I, I got I to gotta, I suppress my dreams. I got to suppress my desires. I got to suppress my unions. I got to have a self-deprecating humor. And we, and we crush ourselves and Jesus says, I've got a better way. This isn't about getting lost in the group. This isn't about glorifying in your individuality. 
Let me show you how to find out who you really are. Let me show you how you can thrive. Let me show you how you can have purpose, a future, uh, a rock-solid understanding of who you are. And here's the way to do it. Here's the path. Here's how you get there. you got to die to yourself. But not die to yourself as if you're suppressing everything and losing yourself in the group. You've got to deny yourself and follow after me. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at this. Jesus, in Matthew 16, what page is it again? I lost it. There you go. Quick on the tomb. That was quick. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves. Now, a lot of people put a period right there. I hear people, uh, you know, we memorize scripture. I hear people say, and sometimes I even, I misremember. And I think that Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to follow me and be my uh, disciple, let them deny themselves, period. And we mistakenly hear Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you gotta, you got to sacrifice all comfort. No more in and out for you. And when you do no ketchup on those fries, you got to have, uh, you know, microwave meals without the microwave. You know, and some people, we, we, we fall into this, and, and, and we do this sometimes. We think that God will actually bless us the more that we beat ourselves up. That God will bless us the more we allow ourselves to be a doormat. That God will somehow bless us if we just deny ourselves and everybody sees how much we deny ourselves and we're the first ones to show up and we're the last ones to leave and we're doing all this because we think that somehow in kind of like allowing ourselves to be spent out and wrung out and overwhelmed and burnt out, somehow God will bless us in the end. That's not at all what he's saying. I see so many Christians, and I, and I, I fall in this trap too, that sometimes I, I get so focused on just doing all this stuff, doing all this stuff and, and, sac- and saying yes to everything. And then I wonder why at the end of the day I get burned out and turned off from following Jesus. It's because I'm not listening to the rest of the sentence. Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't just say deny themselves. And he doesn't say, deny themselves and take up my cross. You know, sometimes we mistakenly think that that's what he says. We, we, we think that to follow Jesus means that we've got to be just like him. Uh, we've got to save ourselves. We've got to pay for everything. We've got to do all these things for God. He says, no, no, I want you to take up your cross. Your cross. And follow me. You see, Jesus says, if you want to, as it goes on, I'll come back to that, verse 25, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. He's saying the true experience of understanding who you really are, living from a sense of confidence in who I've created you to be, is that you don't just deny yourself, you don't just glorify yourself, You look at me, you focus on me, and you take every step of every single day following after me. And there's some times where it's going to be difficult. There's some times where it's going to be hard. And that's your cross. So when you forgive somebody that wronged you, we talked about this a week ago, two weeks ago even. When you forgive somebody else that wrongs you, you suffer in that moment. 
You want justice? Uh, you want to say to everybody around you, look, you know what they just did? You suffer a bit to forgive them, and in that moment, that's your cross, that's your suffering. Uh, when you pray for an enemy, when you, in an argument, say, you know what? I don't have to win this argument. You know what? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? When you have integrity in the workplace, when you, when you come alongside somebody and they inconvenience you, and then you actually kind of step on their toes and they get mad at you for serving them, you see all these moments as we follow Jesus, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be discomfort. There's going to be moments if you follow Jesus, if you deny yourself, if you follow after him, where it's going to, it's going to be hard. And here's the amazing thing is Jesus says that if you want to experience life, you have to deny your own personal pursuits in and of themselves, and you've got to give all those things to me. It's not enough to just say, I give you Sundays. You know, I deny you Sunday morning when the Masters are on or basketball's on or football's on. I, Jesus, I give all of my life to you. No, you just, once a month for an hour, you know. You know, if, if I was a house, if all the areas of my life were a room, what rooms do I allow Jesus to enter into? You know, I give him the front porch, the public, you know, give him the front family room, maybe the kitchen. I don't want to talk about my garage, my messy garage, my closets. Under the bed. I mean, there's all these places in my life, metaphorically speaking, that I, I, I haven't said. And I'm a senior pastor. Yes, I've been following Jesus for 18 years today, by the way. April 8th, 2000 is when I gave my life to Christ. 18 years. And I'm like, I follow you in every area of my life. And Jesus says, are you kidding me, Drew? And I feel like the journey of 18 years has been me realizing more and more how much I don't get it. How much I'm a lot like Peter. Let's take a step back from over those Bibles. This section of Scripture follows something very significant that just happened. You can read about it later. Uh, you can read about it uh, before you fall asleep tonight. In Matthew 16, verse 13, and I'll summarize it very quickly. Jesus says, who do they say the Son of Man is? Which, by the way, is a title used for a person written about in Daniel 7 other places. This one who would come with power, who would come with authority who would have all the kingdoms under his feet. And he asks his disciples, uh, who do they say the Son of Man is? They list a bunch of names, and then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, you are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says perhaps the best thing he could ever say to a human being, recorded in Scripture, he says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. On this confession of faith, I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. What a thing for someone to say. He says, you've got it. That's it. You know who I am. But then look how quickly it turns. Right after that, verse 21, from that time on, from what time? When Peter says, you are the son of the living God. 
From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. What? At the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. And Peter, same guy, takes him aside and began to rebuke him. That's strong language. He's saying, God, you have no idea what I know. How many of you do that to God all the time? I do that sometimes. God, if you only knew how hard it is. Really, Drew? (laughs) Rebukes Jesus saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. He says, this is the box that I put you in, Jesus. This is what's happening. I've created a box that you fit in. Now you're outside that box. No. Get back in my box. You know, it's like the dog, we we yank on the leash, get back in my box, God. And what does Jesus say in response to the one whom he just said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of God? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Let me hear you say scandalon. That means temptation. That's the word stumbling block that we just read here. He's saying, don't tempt me the way Satan tempted me in the desert. Satan said the path to power, the path to greatness, the path towards a true identity, which, by the way, the recorded temptations of Jesus in the desert, two of them begin with this. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, goes right after his identity, then turn these stones into bread. Do something amazing. Do something miraculous. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the precipice The angels will catch you. Everyone will say you're the Messiah. Satan says to Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the earth. The path to greatness, the path to power, the path to love, the path to security is to own it all, to do it all, and have a great reputation. And Jesus knows those temptations. He says, no, no, no. It's God's word that I want to be obedient to. It's God's word that I want to ground my life in. I want to ground my life in what my father just said to me in my baptism. Behold, this is my beloved son. With him I'm well pleased. And he says the same thing to Peter, who he just said, that amazing thing. He now says, you're a temptation to me. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus loved Peter throughout that whole journey. He loves us whether we acknowledge him for who he really is or we want him to get back in our box. He loves us tremendously, but he's revealing to us that there's this upside down, backwards way. It's not traditional. It's not modern. It's not about losing yourself in the church. It's not about suppressing your dreams. It's not suppressing your individuality. Nor is it lifting all of it for your glory and your fame and and your exaltation. It's taking who God created you to be. Your strengths, your weaknesses, the projects that are coming up, and you take all that and you put it into his hands. Now, here's the amazing thing. Some of you, if you were to do this, I mean, we hear these things on Sunday. I preach these things on Sunday. And we don't, I don't, not all of us does this on a regular basis. So we've got a lot of room to grow, the rest of our lives to grow. But some of us, when we say, Jesus, I'm going to take all that I have of my life and I'm going to put it in your hands, you know what's going to happen? Some of us will spend the rest of our lives 
as we are obedient to following Jesus, and it will seem like we never catch a break. Some of us, as we follow Jesus, put everything into God's hands, it seems like everything is easy. Some of us will put our lives into God's hands and will faithfully follow Jesus and we'll get more famous than we dare imagine. Some of us, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we'll never get famous. Some of us, when we put our hands and trust in Jesus, we're going to stay healthy. Some of us are going to get cancer tomorrow. But when you elevate all those things that the world says is valuable, Jesus says, what good is it to profit the world but lose your soul, your life, your psyche? Gosh, over the years I've counseled people. I remember this one gentleman who said, I, you know, I, I feel like I'll finally have peace and satisfaction and joy when I'm famous. And I walked with him for about 10 years, and he experienced that fame. He experienced the fullness of that. And, and we lost touch, and then we reconnected, and, and we sat down and we talked a little bit. And I said, well, how is it? Genuinely, you know, I wondered, how is it? He says, it's awful. I don't know who I can trust. Everybody wants a piece of me. I feel like I've got nobody in my life that just loves me for who I am. They're trying to take something from me. They're trying to use me for their career, for their glory. I've met people who their entire life, they think if I could just have that relationship... If I, can if I can just experience that thing, then I'm going to have peace, then I'm going to have joy, then, I then it's all going to work out. And they finally get that and they realize, oh man, now there's two messed up people i got to deal with. <laughs> Me and them, and they've now got three messed up people, you know. But here's the glorious truth of what Jesus says. You want life, you want joy, you want peace, you want significance. I've got it. But you'll never look to me for it if you keep on pursuing your dreams. You, you'll never experience what I have for you if you just kind of get lost in the crowd and, and feel like you've got to push your desires down. No, he says, you want to follow me? You've got to take up your cross. You've got to see your suffering in the shadow of the ultimate cross. You've got you've to follow after me. And the last thing, and I love this. Verse 25, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, he doesn't say we'll save it. And there's not a word out of place here. You would think Jesus would have this kind of parallel. If you want to save your life, then lose it. If you lose it, you'll save it. That's how we talk. That's called Hebraic parallelism. He doesn't do that. He says, you want to save your life? Then lose it. And when you lose your life, you'll find that you cannot save your own life. You cannot be your own savior. You've got to come to the end of yourself where you realize that you can't find yourself from within. That is the modern American expressive individual gospel that your identity, your hope is your, yourself. You've just got to dig in. You've got to find it somewhere in there. It's so dangerous. It's such a lie. Because if you realize that all you ever need is within yourself, you'll never find it. This thing that's outside of you, this gift of grace, this gift of love, this gift of an identity, this gift of a future, this gift of a community, this gift of a purpose, this gift of, of things that can't be touched, 
Jesus says, when you finally lose your life for my sake, when you put into practice my teaching, you're going to find greater joy than you could ever imagine. And you're going to serve. But in serving, there's going to be moments as you're following me where you're going to say, you know what, in this season, I need to take a break. And as you follow Jesus, there's going to be some seasons where you're going to, you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to take this $100 and I'm going to give it away. In some seasons, when you follow Jesus, you're going to take that $100 and you say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to invest it in something. For some of you, there's going to be days where as you follow Jesus, you're going to say, you know what, today I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And some days when you're following Jesus, you know what you're going to do? You're going to eat a massive meal celebrating who God is. There's going to be moments where you're going to be in solitude. There's going to be moments where you're going to throw a party. That's how dynamic a life of following Jesus is. There's no formula. There's no like little tiny little pathway that you've got to stay on. Jesus says, come on, I've got an adventure for you. Will you follow me in your workplaces, wherever you go? Oh, I'm so much like Peter. Anybody else like Peter? Let's take a moment right now and let's let what only the Holy Spirit can do I'm going to invite Kendall and the team up you know I said this uh, after the 8.30 my favorite parts of Easter Sunday were the parts I didn't write and my favorite parts of my sermon on Easter Sunday were the parts I didn't prepare when I came out and spoke with people I didn't prepare that I'm like, what's happening? I'm going out here. I felt like God was leading me. Did not prepare for people to stand up to acknowledge the fact that they had given their life to Christ. Did not plan, did not write that. I felt like Jesus was saying, you better stop and give people a chance. I love that. The best part of my Easter sermon was something I had nothing to do with, you know. I love that. And I just feel like it's one of those moments right now. That as we hear this song, oh, the wonderful cross which bids me come and die so that I may live. Jesus cares about you individually. He's not saying stuff it and just be part of a group. But he says, you want to really experience life? You've got to come and die to yourself. Die to your selfishness. Die to the negative tapes that run in your head. Die to your fears, your doubts. And I'm going to sit right over there and I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray, God, what's one thing in my life that you want to put to death? And I ask that you would do this, that you would be courageous enough to pray. Just you and God, you don't have to be out loud. That you would say, God, there's something in my life that's preventing me from really thriving. There's something in my life that's really preventing me from following you, and I've kept it from you. I've buried it. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you put it to death today? It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of boldness. Watch what God does when you give that to him. Let me pray. Loving God, would you take these things that we collectively, individually are about to turn to you. I love the fact that, God, you have time for every single one of us. 
You're not overwhelmed with the amount of prayers that are happening right now because you have an ability to be so present. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would hear your invitation of love to bring this thing to you. May we turn it over to you and may we, in that sacrifice to you, that you would show us the next step towards life, to hope, to joy. Meet us this time, Jesus.